Thursday the 23rd of November 2017 to Connell Tribune. No Orthodox nuns on the St. Petersburg train. So it wasn't to be after all, no dreams and songs to sing about World Cup Russia 18. No serenading beautiful Russian ladies outside Moscow's Victoria's Secret or old Orthodox nuns on the train to St. Petersburg, not even bringing a smile to the Vladivostok Vanguardy, or worst of all, the biggest session of all time cancelled in Red Square as the boys in green commemorated the Russian Revolution in the Limerick Soviet beside Lenin's tomb. Borons, fiddles and spoons in the largest siege of Ennis since, well, the siege of Ennis. We didn't see it coming, a bit like the night Steve Cruz battered Barry McGuigan in the Nevada desert, or Joe Brawley blowing kisses to the hill at Clonus after his Ulster final winning goal versus Donegal, or even Keno going walkies with Triggs and Saipan. The early scenes were good, great goal from Shane Duffy, which should have been the perfect platform for the perfect result, but it was a false dawn. Martin O'Neill has come in for heavy criticism, some possibly warranted, most ridiculous. He's an intelligent guy and not your average over-the-moon type manager. He doesn't do sound bites or meaningless platitudes, but as an analytical thinker who's always got 110% out of his players. A quirky character who studied law at Queen's and sat through 60 days at the Orchard Rupert trial after training at Forest while the rest of his teammates were playing snooker and watching Baywatch. That's the sort of head he had on him and why he doesn't take bullshit from Tony O'Donoghue or the RTE panel. I've followed Mon's career with interest since her paths crossed in 1970 in Belfast. He was a boarder at St Malachy's while I was at St Mary's, the city's two Catholic grammar schools, where those lucky enough to pass the infamous 11 plus were at the mercy of Christian brothers, who, contrary to perceived opinion, were great teachers who instilled a love of Irish culture and history but had a pension for rattling a duster or a big lump of wood across your knuckles if you couldn't remember where Henry Joy McCracken, the 1798 leader, was buried. As it turned out, just close by in Clifton Street beside the statue of Roaring Hannah, a 19th century Paisley. Soccer was banned in Christian Brothers schools then, but outside school we embraced the beautiful game. O'Neill was from a GA background in Kilray, but played soccer for Rosario, a club based on the Armour Road up near Big Ian's Church of Sailing Collection fame. They had a good team then and won the Darren and Connor League two years in a row, 69-70, losing only one game in the process when they played our team, Holy Trinity, up in Turf Lodge on a wet, heavy pitch in November, not conducive to good football. We kicked them, sorry, played them off the pitch in a 3-2 victory. And I'd like to say I never gave him a kick of the ball, but let's just say he had better days. In the next year, Belfast got a little mad, to say the least, and football took a back seat, especially after the local revolutionaries stuck a first blow at the Empire by cutting down our goalposts when they heard we were playing a British Army team during General Freeman's honeymoon period before we realised they weren't on our side. In the next few months, we both had trials with distillery, but while he signed and returned to the leafy South Belfast suburbs and university, our thoughts were less focused on football in the, le- in the less leafy suburbs and more in the army who'd laid siege to the lower falls adjacent to distilleries Grosvenor Road Stadium during the curfew of June 1970. Less than a year later, I watched in the terraces as Martin O'Neill was the star with two goals as distillery defeated Derry in the cup final 
and Clohys signed him right away for Knott's Forest. While we risked our lives avoiding the sectarian bigots from the village around Windsor after the match, the last time I ever ventured to that sectarian cesspit. A lifetime has passed since, and now from a great vantage point in the South Stand Upper, I've seen Martin O'Neill patrol the technical area in his inimitable style for the last few years. Cajola and his journeymen teamed to great things, just as he did at Leicester and Villa, fourth and sixth in the Premier, Celtic, the Europa final in Seville, and his Northern Ireland captain in two World Cups. Never blessed with the messes of this world, although Larson came close, O'Neill gets average players to overachieve, and he did it again in this World Cup group where we started out as fourth seeds and almost won the group. The purists say he should play more entertaining football, pass it better, keep it on the ground. Instead of a team of Gary Breens, we should have a team of Wes Lands. The reality is our players are a product of the EPL and Championship, two of the top six leagues in the world apparently. But at times it's woeful to watch. Athlete, system, power, for fuck's sake, watching Bournemouth versus Huddersfield in a wet Monday in November is a fate worse than death. Our players develop in this system. They can run all day, compete, be physical, but natural footballers they are not. I'm convinced if Messi, Iniesta and Xavi had been in the youth system in England, we would never have heard of them. So we have a situation where Clark and Ward are shoe-ins for the Irish team, and the only two creative players in the team, McGeady and Houlihan, or surplus to requirements. I've seen it at Donegal League level, a guy with two left feet puts a ball, the way he's facing, maybe over the hedge and the crowd cheers. A creative player tries something, doesn't come off and he's crucified. That's a mindset coming from English football. Seeing a talented ball player, five foot six and a six foot six giant who wouldn't recognize a pass if you showed him on a map for trials. Who does the coach choose? So where do we get these players? Dunphy and Brady would like to see. They don't grow in trees. How many Donegal guys have ever made it in football in 100 years? Seamus Coleman, Packy, Shea Given, Big Conrad, the Hamden Hunslayer, and then you're struggling. It's difficult, that's why I think we should embrace what we've got and enjoy the ride to Stuttgart, Genoa and Leon when it comes along and accept the times in between when it's not so good. A bit like golf, accept the good days with 40 points and don't throw the clubs away when you can't buy a par. Probably an even better analogy is Celtic in the Champions League. In the present financially doped climate, they're never going to compete at the business end, but they can make the group stages and have incredible nights beating Barca and all. And it's a realistic and enjoyable experience, similar to the Republic beating Germany or Italy. The 11 players sent out last Tuesday week personifies all. No player ever goes out to play bad. On the night they were well beaten by a better team. There's no disgrace in that. By the way, despite having a plan of Larry Marley-esque perfection to get from UCHG to Ballsbridge on Tuesday evening, unfortunately the best laid plans and all that. But it's an ill wind. So we contacted Cree and gave them the tickets and they received a sizable donation and a young couple and their ecstatic football mad son took our seats to cheer on the boys to Moscow. Alas, not to be.